This, this, this is a Tape Deck Podcast. Hey everybody, it's H, and welcome to the latest installment of Dune Pod, where we talk to our friends about the movies we love. This week, I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Jason. I don't know, I've never caught a football in my life. And Young Jason Month concludes with another of his Princeton debate colleagues, Jeremiah Gordon. I'm going to stick to what I know. <laughs> Have you I'm seen? I'm going to stick to what I know. <laughs> I'm going to stick to what I know. I'm going to stick to what I know. We discuss John Singleton's first film, the influential and moving 1991 classic starring Ice Cube, Cuba Gooding Jr., and Lawrence Fishburne, Boys in the Hood. If you're enjoying the show, we need your help. Take a minute to leave us a five-star rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcast, or just tell your friends about us because it really does help new listeners find the show. We also have a Discord server where you can hang out with us online whenever you want. And now, without further ado, Boys in the Hood. All right, so Jeremiah, like, let's just get straight into the dirt. You have it. We want Jason's like like his his low moments like what like his most embarrassing. Like we we've had Steve on and we've had Ed on and the report is pretty much consistent. I was very stoned a lot of the time and I ate trash food. Like these two things are not uncorrelated. <laughs> Both of those are very 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 true. Um, anybody talk about the trench coat yet? Has a trench coat? No, go ahead. Talk about the trench coat. Speak on it. Okay, so like, you gotta think of like, (laughs) it's the midnight, mid to late nineties, and Jason for I think four years of college, yeah, wore like this Inspector Gadget trench coat. That's right. Everywhere, London fog. What are you talking about here? London fog. London fog. Like London fog, but every day it could be snowy. It could be hot. (laughs) He kept the trench coat on. Had a lot of pockets. You could fit a lot hey, of storage in there. He was pulling stuff out the pockets. He had because he had a lighter, some of the weed over here. He was ready to go. I had like various pens, like a flow pad. I had all kinds of stuff. You never knew what you need. I was resourceful. And the theory he would always say, so you, you probably know this, Matt, but Jason was an astrophysics major. Uh-huh. And so we were always like, well, maybe he had his supplies because he had to stay up all night watching the stars. Uh-huh. That's right. You never knew what he was doing. In the fog. That's right. I had to stay up all night for the stars. <laughs> that is brutal. That That is brutal. That's a good and- look. I want that trench coat back. I got to find an, I gotta find a replacement. Yeah. That'd be a good look I don't now. think your wife does. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever? Uh, what about a hat? Was a hat part of that uh, that look or not? Nah, he didn't. I don't think I've ever seen Jason no. in a hat. Have I don't do hats. Hat? They don't. They don't make them in my size. The head's too large for, <laughs> for hats. He got to get them for. He got to get them from a specialty store. I couldn't afford that in college. We also, uh, Jeremiah. Another topic we covered last week on the pod was the prize debate um, boondoggles um, because Matt was asking where the money came from. How'd you make out in those prize debates? Oh, I won some prize debates. I was broke. <laughs> I had to be part of the gig. Shoot, I was working at the dining hall. The prize money was like, oh, wow. the prize money was like two months of income. It's amazing. Wow. I was what I was saying. It was amazing. I was like, I was like, some some people in the 19th century put some money aside and then we were able to afford the finer things in like 1997. It was great. I mean, the prize money was key. <laughs> We we covered the Tonta Goldberg situation last week. The Tonta, you have, yeah, 
You have any other favorite uh, debate debate cases? I, I, ones you remember? I don't. I I don't have any great ones to be honest with you. <laughs> I um I don't have any great ones. Jeremiah was Jeremiah was a straight shooter in debate. He was he was running yeah. like he wasn't running any. You're Luke on Dagobah. Like how do you escape? Or he was running. He was running serious policy. Well, let me just ask: How was Jason on winning debates, and how was Jason on losing debates? So I will say, Jason was good enough that he didn't lose often. But he was Whoa. also good enough that when, he was good enough that when he did when he did lose, he didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> and so one of the one of the things about debate is because there's no public school board as the game is going on. Uh huh. As a matter, as a everyone, I knew a hundred people that debated in college, and no one ever lost a debate. Right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And that's the better right. they were, the least they were likely to lose. <laughs> that's right. Oh man. Jeremiah was a very successful debater as well. His debate partner uh was a Supreme Court clerk after uh was part Excuse of the me. Prince of Debate Supreme Court clerk lineage. Uh, uh wow. and so it was a very it was a very respectable, very respectable crew that we were running with. Very respectable. On paper. Very On paper. <laughs> yeah. And Jeremiah, how did you end up in the Bay Area? I don't know, I, you know, that's I where I was born. born. I was born, born in the, I, I'm, I'm born and raised one of the few, I'm going to say this, I know we care by see me, but I'm one of the few black people that are really <laughs> born and raised. Me and my family, we're the last, yeah. the last Mohicans. Yeah. Um, you got, you, know, my you parents, got family in San Francisco still, actually, right? You a little a couple... bit, but they're not, not, they're not, they're new kind. They weren't the people that grew right. up in San Francisco. Now, my family, um, my parents met out here. Actually, they met in um, they met right on in, in Mission Dolores. Actually, my dad, mm. when I was a little kid, he used to have a, my parents used to have a bunch of black friends. Believe it or not, mm. they lived right around the park. Yeah. Those people all have all moved and passed <laughs> on, and nobody like that lives there anymore. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I grew up in San Francisco, and it's because it's so it's a it's a wildly different city now than it was then. But I grew up. Mm. We ended up moving to Vallejo because it was cheaper. My parents could afford a house there, but I spent a lot of time in San Francisco in the eighties. And it's not what it is now. Yeah. For good and bad. We just did Invasion of the Body Snatchers set in San Francisco in 78. Oh, yeah. It was a wild look. We're getting some of those vibes. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just different. It's um, it's just, it's, it's hard to articulate. It's just a very, very different city. Like, tech was not the dominant thing in the Bay Area when mm. I was a child. It was an industry that happened to also be in the Bay Area. Hmm. And then t- tech made it much more of a global city. And so it changed the ability of people who were native to here, who weren't involved in the tech industry. Right. Their ability to stay here and live here just kind of went away. Mm. How did, how, how's Vallejo changed since you like moved there as a kid? Well, so Vallejo actually had a rough go. Um, so um, it was like when I was in high school, like, like 94, 95, somewhere in there, um, Vallejo's main industry, and the reason it existed is that it's, um, was, was, was employment through something called the Mare Island Naval Shipyard. Mm-hmm. And as part of the early 90s military base commission reductions or whatever, whatever you want to call it, oh, right. they closed out a shipyard. Right. And like the worst thing in the world, it happened in Detroit, it happened, it's happened in all sorts of American places, it happened in Vallejo on a small scale, but in an important way. When you close a place where like 40 and 50 year olds work, they cannot retrain. If you right, spent right. twenty years cleaning chips and doing, right. and so there was a real economic calamity. My um, my dad's friend was the mayor when the city went bankrupt in the late nineties because they mm. had a cost structure and a whole situation set up based on this shipyard that brought a bunch of jobs and went under. So it was bad. Like when you hear E forty talking about Vallejo, Vallejo had a rough go. Yeah, it had a rough go, and then it got inflated again through the housing bubble, yeah. crashed again. And we're just now getting back to, to, to some kind of sanity over there. Mm. 
Shout out to E40. Did he get an apology for what happened to him in Sacramento? What, what was the what was the final? I don't know what the resolution was of him in Sacramento, but he got treated unfairly. He got treated unfairly. That's he got treated crazy. unfairly. It's ridiculous. You guys, an elder statesman. Elder statesman, exactly. And he, like he, I would say, technically, he's the mayor of the Bay. And if you look carefully, Sacramento touches a little bit of water. I don't think it's right. <laughs> it's not <laughs> I right. I don't think it's right. <laughs> he gets invited to the White House when they win. Like, you can't, like, you can't treat him like that. He's got a ring. I, Vivek and the Sacramento Kings ought to make that right. They ought to make they that right. right. Yeah, agree. This is agree. like, there's shady stuff that happens in the Bay Area, though. It's like when they stopped, um, when they stopped. Well, they, my, my senior, my, my senior exactly. I will tell you, look, anybody that grew up in the Bay Area knows it's, it's it's a progressive place. It's not a race forward place. And so right. it is not at all surprising that he got essentially what I think they later admitted were false charges put against him. Um, by the Alameda, Alameda County Sheriff's Office. And what was interesting to me about that as an aside is this was not a one-on-one on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. Right, 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 This happened in a stadium with 20,000 people with cell phones. <laughs> right, 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 right. Like, right. these people came up and locked the, the police officer who accosted him claimed that he knocked him out so bad he had to be, he was disabled. <laughs> yeah. It was like, in the stadium with the cameras on. And you so know, like, they, I like, wonder what happens when he's by himself. Yeah, 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 exactly. That is that is crazy. I'm assuming he has good legal representation. Uh, well, I think it was all, I think it was all I think it was, that was all shaken out. They, they basically well, so so he had good legal representation. But one thing I will say, and this is this is true of all sort of public facing and very prominent people, what he can do in his position versus what a what a regular person can do is actually he's actually constrained a lot. Believe it or not, mm-hmm. right, right, because right. he's he wants to be the general manager of the team. He can't really go hard. Because it's uh, he has, it has other downstream implications for him, and so he yeah. can't always do the right thing. So I felt I feel genuinely bad for him that in the probably the best mm. moment of his career he got treated like that. Yeah, mm. and had no recourse. That sucks. That well, sucks. he's gonna get a lot of love uh, always. Uh, you know. In the well, Bay. I mean, like <laughs> he was with the other team, so well, we'll see how much. Yeah, <laughs> see how much love. Uh, all right, Jeremiah. So first of all, just welcome. It's great to meet you. It's great to have you on the pod. Uh, we are super excited and you picked a film. I don't even know I don't think you're one of the few guests who like, it wasn't on the list. It wasn't on our radar. Shockingly, <laughs> you know, in, inner city dramas are, have not been at the forefront of Dune Pod's coverage. So I really yeah. appreciate the fact that you picked for us tonight, John Singleton's 1991 classic boys in the hood. Yes. My favorite movie mm, and yep. one of the best movies ever made. Yeah, so we're going to get all the way into that. I do want to just give folks a trigger warning up front. There will be a lot of talk about violence. Uh, mm-hmm. There will probably be use of the N-word in clips or uh, things being referenced in here. So just everybody heads up uh, as we have that. This is a really important movie, um, but it is a really intense one. So we're going to get all the way in it. Meanwhile, next week on dune pod jason yeah the final episode of dune pod ever jeremiah barely squeaked in before there was no (laughs) dune pod i can't believe it we got all my debate friends in right before the curtain dropped episode 150 it's just after our three-year birthday uh it's crazy and here to send us off in style greg yatanis oh my gosh for his fourth appearance Covering oh Terry Gilliam's science fiction paperwork masterpiece, Brazil. Amazing. 
Amazing. Glad to have him back. A, a wonderful movie. Cannot wait. Have you seen Brazil, Jeremiah? I think we were. I think I made you watch that one time, actually. I think I, <laughs> it's not top of mind. Maybe I've seen it. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Speaking of which, what is your history with Dune? <laughs> I'm going to be honest with y'all. I can't believe you're talking about Boys in the Hood. I, don't, I know you got a very sophisticated audience. But I'm gonna stick to what I know. Have you? I'm gonna stick to what I know. I'm gonna stick to what I know. I'm gonna stick to what I know. I'm gonna tell you a story. I'm gonna get. We were talking about politics. I'm gonna give you a funny political story. So it was like oh five, oh six, maybe oh four, and W had one re-election. Oh five, W had one re-election, and one of the female justices was a female justice. Either quit or resign, and. There was this woman who worked for him for years and years and years named Harriet Myers. Yeah. And W was like, you know, that Harriet, she's been in here all the time. She's great. He put Harriet Myers up for the Supreme Court. Yeah. And look, everybody's not made for everything. Yeah. I think they asked her, like, what the First Amendment was or something. And she just went into a puddle of water. She's not been seen for 20 years. <laughs> she's, I'm going to keep quiet on the dude pod. You don't want to be and the Harriet Myers. You don't want to be the Harriet. Harriet Myers of far fiction, of far far future science fiction. You, you have a very sophisticated audience. I'm going to talk about the things I know, and that right. is Boys in the Hood. Fair All enough. Right. This is this is a safe space. Just so you, just so you know. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, that's that is awesome. Well, just really quick, Jason, should we do some Dune news? Would you like to know more? Dune news. Let me just tell you, there's there no Dune news. Dune news. Okay, be, I was going to say. You'll be unsurprised to learn. However, the countdown to 150. Yes. The countdown to 150. Yes, we're almost there. Next week, it's happening. The big thing that happened this week, Jason, today. Yeah. We locked on the new artwork. Look at that. It's beautiful. We have new artwork for the pod. Events channel. Look at this live. Yeah, it looks great. We have new artwork, new theme song. Jeremiah, I don't know if you know this. We're rebranding the podcast to Escape Hatch so that we're not just Dune focused anymore. So this is a, a strategic rebrand, a marketing, a marketing maneuver. It's extremely strategic. It's extremely strategic. <laughs> None more strategic. It looks great, though. Catcher fucking crushed it. Yeah, it's really cool. We got the hatch. The, the logo's phenomenal. I didn't think he would be able to to, to top the, the Dune Pod logo, but, man, this thing is really killer. It looks great. It looks really great. Um, one other thing that I'll reference really quick, Jason, when we rebrand, we have a new name. People will just be finding us. People will be lost. Where's Dune Pod? What happened? We need five-star reviews. We need those nice five-star reviews. We need people to step up. Like, yeah. now's the time. If you've been listening to the pod yeah. and you've, you've heard us ask every episode, just take a minute and pop over there uh, and do it. Just like. We got one, Jeremiah. We got a good review this week. Oh, you wait to the Boys in the Hood podcast. Oh, no. We're going to be so many, oh, be so many five-star reviews. You're not going to look through it. I'm going to be like, how, how do we get Jeremiah back as like another, as like third host for Escape? Oh, back? I got a catalog. I got a catalog. Yeah. We, got some, we got some other options. This is great. New Jack City. New we Jack can City. Talk. New Jack what City is on the What happened with, what's the, did New Jack City 2 get made? What did? What was up? Can we get the author? Well, we're not going to talk Jack about City. it too much because okay. it was a dispute. Okay. But New Jack City, there was a proposal. Some of my friends might have been involved in it for New Jack City 2. It did not make it yet. Now they on strike. Maybe when they come <laughs> off a strike, we can get it moving again. But, but we got an inside track got on that one. If that got one. Inside. I, 
<laughs> Let me just say this. I might be familiar with the screenplay. I might be familiar with the screenplay. Really? If this, yeah. If wow. we if if we can get this going, if if we can get this movie off the strike and get it get it into production, we got a real. We can be the official podcast for New Jack City too. I got one other thing to tell you about New Jack City. You may not know. I probably don't. There is a currently in production in New York a. Um, live action like a, a Broadway show musical type of New Jack City. No. <laughs> what? Yes, yes, 100%. Is it hip-hop? Official? Is it hip-hop or is it... I've not seen it. Okay. It's a bunch of like people that you know from the 80s in roles you wouldn't suspect in New Jack City. I've not seen it. I've only seen like the... Uh, the casting like list of who's in it. Oh man, I got that's a good one. Those are good. Those are good yeah. updates. Those we'll are get good. right on that. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna look this yeah. up right now. We're, we're gonna get right on. <laughs> that is amazing. That is amazing. Well, let me just one last piece of business. Can we welcome some new Discord friends joining us this week? Shane Decline Pie and an Apple. That's Barnabas's Aussie uh, PC repair buddy. Oh great, great proprietor and Golden M. I love that. That's great. Welcome. Guys, let's go. Let's get into it. What do you say? Let's do this movie. Let's do it. All right, here we go. Boys in the Hood is the struggle for respect and survival against a system of racist injustice. Trey Styles is a smart but angry child growing up with his mother, a master's student in South Central LA. When he is sent to live with his father after his latest fight at school, Trey begins a close friendship with his neighbors across the street, Doughboy and Ricky. Seven years later, with high school graduation looming, the friends find their relationships and future options tested by Doughboy's repeated incarcerations, Ricky's opportunity for a better life by earning a football scholarship, and Trey shot at higher education with his girlfriend, Brandy. But these dreams will be interrupted by desperation, anger, and braggadocio careening out of control with bullet casings and bodies alike left lifeless on the sidewalk. Can Trey take the lessons his father has worked so hard to instill in him and become a man? Or will they die before they even have a chance to live cut down as boys in the hood? Wow, that's great. Woo! Jeremiah, when did you first see this movie? When did, did you see this in the theater when it came out? I want to say I first saw this movie in the theater when I wasn't supposed to because it was rated mm -hmm. R and I was not old enough. Huh. Yeah. I was going to say, because you must, you were, you must have been like, you you were just a wee child. 13 or 14 when yeah. this came out. Yeah. Wow. And this was like, woo! It's like, cut, cut. I, I got to start at why. There is a reason why I love this movie. Please. There are a lot of movies about a lot of people's experiences. I know y'all like Dude because it feels like you. There's a scene in like the first 20 minutes of this movie where it's Doughboy when he got, he got out of jail and they're having a barbecue at the, in the backyard of his mother's house. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I've seen a movie representation of my childhood mm. that has the dialogue. And I look, nobody, minus the jail part, yeah. but that has like the dialogue and the feel of like what it felt like growing up in the Bay Area mm. around a big, huge, like large extended family more than that scene. Yeah. I love that. Like that scene, honestly, like you could have gone to my, my, like, my aunt's house and my family's house and filmed like our having a barbecue and it would have looked just like that scene. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm. That's great. 
I love, I mean, I guess for me, so like, uh, you know, like I saw this movie, I didn't see it in the theater. It was on heavy rotation on HBO um, at like, you know, in the, in the late nineties in the mid nineties. Um, and so I, I saw it a ton, but I realized like when I was watching it for the pod that I've mostly seen like the latter half of the movie, like, I, cause mm. I hadn't seen it from the beginning that much, like so much so that I had forgotten until I was rewatching for the pod. I'm like, Oh, this is where the, you know, do you want to see a dead body meme comes from? Like, I just like had forgotten that that was like the source of this because mm. I hadn't seen the childhood part of it. But I did remember seeing that scene in the barbecue. And I, I guess I, I had like sort of the, the, like the correlative experience, which was like, oh, like I've never been to a barbecue like this. Like, I've never, <laughs> like, like I've never, I've never like seen this. Like, I, and it felt, and like so much of the movie, I was like, this is really like seeing someone else's life. Like it was like this portal into another world that I didn't, I knew nothing about. And like at the time I saw it when I was in, high school, I didn't even understand the geography of California. Like I didn't right. know where L I like, I didn't know where LA was versus San Francisco. I certainly didn't know where South Central was in LA. And so like, it was just this total like transportation into another world. Um, so yeah, I was, it's like the, the opposite correlative experience to yours. What about you H? What did you see this movie? I think I saw this on DVD and really, really liked it. Um, I singleton, came out very strong out of the gate. And I had been, yeah. uh, you know, in 91, I was very firmly kind of like in the Spike Lee phase, mm. um, you know, through Mo Better Blues and, uh, and, and just beyond there. And, and so I, I just like definitely sat up and was like, holy shit, this is both incredible, visceral. I also had just seen New Jack City. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I was quite, quite in that, in that vibe there. I had not revisited it in a long time though. And I was- A long time, yeah. I was shocked uh, at, at how this film, how this film held up. Well, let's get into it. This is, this is, as you guys know, this is his masterpiece. Yeah. yeah. This is the film he wrote when he was running around and couldn't get it made. It is, a, it is, it is the best thing that John Singleton ever made. One of the best black movies ever made, if not the best black movie ever made. Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, for sure. And so, so when he was, when John Singleton was applying for USC, which has the greatest film program, you know, in the United States, yeah. one of the questions was describe three ideas for films, and one of his ideas he titled "Summer of '84," and that ultimately mm. um, evolved into "Boys in the Hood." And basically, Trey is based directly on Singleton's life. I was listening to the director's commentary, and he kind of hits it again and again, um, exactly elements that that came through there. Um, but one of the pieces, you know, on condition that he would be able to direct it, he sold the script to Paramount in 90, who was looking for their do the right thing, um, which had been a mm. sensation. And God, I would love to do do the right thing. Holy shit. Yeah, we will we'll have to, obviously. So. It's in the wheelhouse. Uh, that, I mean, that's the whole point of like, I guess like just to talk about the meta aspect of the podcast is like the reason we want to rebrand to Escape Hatch is like so that we can do like just more movies from like the 80s and 90s that aren't like explicitly science fiction or Dune related. So it's it's exciting. Mm, get ready, everybody. Get ready. So just casting really quick. None of the kids other than Trey were actors. Right. The, like all the rest of the, you know, Chris and Doughboy and stuff, they were just kids uh, that, that they connected with to open casting calls. Um, Doughboy was written for Ice Cube and the studio at the time did not know he was in NWA. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. Cause this is like not like modern day Ice Cube, where like you know, he's like, oh, yeah. like you know, he's like friendly with cops and like sort of is like you know Are whatever like an elder statesman. Yeah. This is like this is Ice Cube during the day. I mean, this is this is a prime time Ice Cube. Um, 
That's wild. That's funny. I wonder. I would have loved to have been in the meeting where they found out that they <laughs> they had cast Ice Cube. <laughs> so Lawrence Fishburne also was cast after Singleton met him on the set of Pee Wee's Playhouse. Oh yeah, where of course he played Cowboy Curtis. Cowboy Curtis. How did he end up? Why was Singleton on the set of Pee Wee's Playhouse? Singleton was a production assistant and security guard. Amazing. On Pee Wee. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, pretty all wild. Right. Uh, last piece that I'll say, the film was shot in sequence. Uh, oh. And one of the things that Singleton said oh, is, that's... as you watch it, you can see him becoming more confident as he was getting his his footing. And he said at the beginning, he would say, you know, this is a Spielberg shot. This is a Scorsese shot. And by the time they were halfway or more through, he stopped saying that. And it was just like, this is a Singleton shot. That makes sense. And the, end of the, the third act of the movie is much more confident than like the than some of the other parts of the movie. I mean than the beginning of the movie. Like he it, he feels more in control in the third act of the movie. Whereas like in the beginning it's more like observational. Mm -hmm. And the third act it feels like it has more of a point of view. Mm. Mm. Interesting. At 24, John Singleton was the first African American and the youngest person ever to be nominated for an Academy Award for Best Director. And at 24, he got robbed for the Academy Award. What won that year? What was the what year I, was that? that was I don't something remember. terrible. This, yeah, would be the, this would be the March 92, uh, March 92 one. All right. But he also hired famously, while you look that up, he it was 90% black crew members, so director of photography and, and production design. And he really wanted to have that that authenticity. Um, the budget was six and a half million dollars worldwide. Gross fifty seven point five million nine x. That's a, those are good numbers. What was the what was the initial budget? Six point five. Six point five. Wow. So it was made for a pittance. Like that's nothing. Like we talk a lot about like the Star Wars line. Like mm -hmm. Star Wars in seventy seven was made for like fourteen fifteen ish, depending on how they count it. And this was just absolutely nothing. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. And he shot the whole thing in, uh, you know, on the streets of L.A. Uh, so just right. like very, very visceral. You can tell, by the way, it's not a studio. Yeah, exactly. It's not a studio for sure. Sorry, one last piece I'll call out. If anyone is in L.A., there is a Boys in the Hood exhibition right now at the Academy Award Museum. It's very cool. They have like the letter where the guys were giving studio notes back on the movie and uh, they got a bunch of props and, and other things. It's a really, really cool exhibit. I'll post some mm. pictures later. Mm. Very groovy. Jonathan Demi won for Silence of the Lambs that year. The other the other well, That's a good movie too now. By yeah. the way. That's a good movie. It's pretty strong. I've seen that's a good movie. I'm going to give it that. He could the other ones, the other ones were not as strong. Like Barry Levinson for Bugsy. This, that's not a no. real thing. Ridley Scott for Thelma and Louise. That is a real movie. And then Oliver Stone that's for JFK. J JFK is not uh, JFK is a fucking mess. Let's just get like, out of here. Hey, get your JFK out of here. So yeah, but Silence of the Lambs. Is I'm not as upset now that I know the Silence <laughs> of the Lambs. That's a real point. Now. <laughs> Silence of the Lambs is on my top five list too. That was a good year. Yeah, that was a good yeah. year. Good it year. was a good year. So we always look at you know how films start and the impact they make. This one begins with a drive-by shooting before the credits even start. <laughs> Mm -hmm. You know, so it is very disturbing, uh, and it all happens just in on a black screen, um, which is even more intense. And then we go from there to kids, you know, just walking around the neighborhood, you know, uh, you know, into a crime scene and seeing a dead body. Mm -hmm. So this is a, a pretty bleak, uh, pretty bleak open. 
Yeah, this is a tough. This is a tough one. I mean, like again, like I, I was, I, I, I was struck. I was reminded when I watched it for the pod. I was like, oh, I haven't actually seen this from the beginning very often, and it really like sets the tone pretty early what you're in for with this movie. Yeah, those kids are unfazed. Uh, but we cut from there to into school. And actually, I love this. The teacher is teaching about Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. and she mentions the fact that the Indians were helping. Oh, excuse me, Native Americans. So like, mm-hmm. there's this notion of you know some some PC awareness. Uh, or sensitivity, but when Trey gets in a fight over how Africa is the source of all humanity and we're really all the same, right. uh, which I thought was nice to lay that down, um, and he gets in trouble, the teacher calls home and she's already being just straight up racist to yes. you know to his mom. You know, oh, so you are educated. That was like that was really fucked up. That's a tough one. So that scene, by the way, um, of like that that dichotomy is California to this day, but it's particularly California then. Yeah, mm. it's um, it's hard to articulate how spot on he gets the teacher called. Like this, like it's it, it's completely it's it's, it's spot on like culturally. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I was that was I mean it was it was just you knew your you knew kind of what your you knew it wasn't going to go good. Like, with like just like it just looks sort of like the way the movie opens. You're like, oh, this teacher's, I don't think this teacher's down. I think this is going to be a tough one. It's a problem. It's a problem. Well, it's amazing to see Angela Bassett so young in this. Look, I mean, not to, n- not to transition abruptly from the racist teacher to Angela Bassett, but Angela Bassett is unbelievably gorgeous in this movie i was shocked by what a smoke show angela bassett is in this movie my (laughs) god like it's ridiculous like i guess i hadn't seen this era again it was just like it's such an early era for angela bassett this is four years before strange days which i think was the first thing that i saw her in but exactly so so jeremiah you know 14 years old angela bassett (laughs) <laughs> no, no, no! It wasn't Angela Bassett. It was the girl. Oh, yeah, okay, we'll get to Brandon. Neil Long. Yeah. Wait till we get to, to the barbecue. Neil Long. Okay. Right. Neil Long has I a stranglehold. Neil Long. We'll get there. Okay. As an aside, Neil Long. You said this was '91. Neil Long to this day is so good looking. She almost caused the NBA Finals to shut down last yeah, year. Yeah, we're gonna get into it. We're that's gonna get str- into that's it. That's real. We'll come back to Neil Long. We'll come we got back a lot of Neil Long, Long commentary. Neil, okay. Neil Long. Neil Long. He thinks I'm passing some crazy. I'm gonna tell him this Neil Long story from last year. He go go completely. No, no, no. Insane. You're gonna lose. You're gonna lose your mind on this one. It's Neil Long. <laughs> right, everything's gonna be lost. We, we, wait till we get to Neil Long. All right, I'm ready. I'm ready when we get there. Uh, so so she takes him to live with his father. And this is in another neighborhood. And I think, Jeremiah, this is not meant to be that far away from where she was. But again, in in South Central, although we'll talk about it later when they go to Compton. This is not Compton, which is considered very different uh, from the neighborhood that he's in. Fishburne has a good style in this movie. His, his, overall, his overall outfits are strong in this movie. He looks good. Also, Furious Styles is an all-time name. Amazing name. <laughs> amazing name. Yes. It is an amazing cartoon name that somehow he makes work. Yeah. Uh, But he is so, uh, he's really great. He's immediately, you know, the the trope would be like, you know, dad doesn't want the kid there. But no, he is like, he's stoked to have him there. And he is like trying to be okay with um, with his his mom. Um, But Trey does look kind of bummed. Yeah, he looks kind of bummed. He's not, he's he's not super stoked about going to live with dad. Can, can I just say one thing that's part of the tapestry of why I love yeah. a lot of movies that star or that are focused on 
non-majority populations. Mm-hmm. All of the characters seem fake. Mm-hmm. And that there's there because it's written from someone who doesn't know the people who are in that circumstance. Right. And it's written by someone who's never been in that situation. Every single character in this movie, I can point to someone who I have met and who I right. know well mm-hmm. that like acts like them or talks like them or sounds like them or has their worldview. These are like compositions or or, or, or more more accurately probably like distillations of actual real people that I know exist because I met them. Mm-hmm. And like I've met a hundred people like Fury Styles. Mm. And this is you this is like you would say like in distinction to Contra, like something like the wire. Yes. Where I think it's like for a white audience. I, I would like, tell you this is gonna upset your friends. Yeah. I t- before I even knew who wrote the wire, I watched two episodes that said it's written by a white person. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> because exactly. it did no, and I don't mean that negative with yeah, yeah. other cultures. Fair. But you could tell from the way the dialogue was and the profile of the people that they were. It was not written by someone who had lived with and knew the people. Directly. I think this. This was not. This is written by someone who's been there. I remember we talked. To, I mean, we talked about this when The Wire was on TV, and because I, I was a huge fan. H has never seen The Wire, by the way. So you're I've, seen the wire, like, I've seen The Wire. I've seen The. I know who Frank Sabake is. Okay, I've seen The Wire. <laughs> so, but like, but like, we talked about this when it came out. And I thought it was like such a like. Such, it's, I've always thought about that since. It's like there's like such a different way in which like these kind of stories get told depending on like who's to, who's telling the story. Cause like furious, there's like no rage. Right. He's in control, but he's calm. Right. He's like got a little bit of swag and a little bit of style. Right. It's a, I, I just, I just know people like that. Mm-hmm. You know, what's interesting about furious too. I was noticing in this, this read through it's not explicit. He's somewhat nation of Islam coded yeah. in this movie. Like, you know, he's like, he's you like, didn't bring me pork, like, did you? don't bring me pork. And like, sort of like the, the speech about uh, gentrification that he gives and like the, the importance of black business. But it's not like, it's not, it's not concrete. It's not specific. Like they don't, they don't, they, he doesn't want to beat you over the head like with the it. whole, well, they don't want to get, I just don't think he wants to like nail it down, like to one specific ideological framework instead wants to be a more, he doesn't want him to be just like sort of a proxy for an ideology. He wants him to be this fully realized character. I, I like the way they do that. Yeah. Well, and, and very specifically, remember furious styles is playing his dad. This is John Singleton's dad. Mm-hmm. Right to the conversations that they have. So there's definitely some idolization that's happening here uh, Mm -hmm. as well in a, in a really good way. So, I mean, the first thing that he does, he's been there like two minutes and he tells him to rake the leaves, um, which, which he has to do. And he does a really good job of it. He does a good job. So that's my next question. What's the deal with chores? Uh, you know, Sam is five. We're, we're, you know, we're desperately trying to get him to like carry his plate to the sink. Yeah. Uh, after he eats meals, Jeremiah, do you have any, any experience with any of this right now? Yeah, when did you start doing useful chores, Jeremiah? <laughs> what do we have? You have a five-year-old Jason? He's not doing shit. He's not doing shit. Soon to be five. He got sent to bed. I texted you before this started that I didn't know if I was gonna be able to set on time because he uh he got sent to bed early because he scratched his sister in the neck like with his like long oh, no. talon fingers so we had a we had a disciplinary action no chores oh, were being done <laughs> he was trying to show like how to raise a son there's a lot of there's a lot of like black fathers and stuff in here that's like not even so subtle they, that's the one thing they hit you over the head with yeah because mm. even at the ending which will come to they hit you there the black fatherhood things i don't have a, a particular theory about the chores thing other than I will say that it culturally connects because it's very much part of the culture, but I don't have like an independent way of like articulating what you're trying to do. 
I, I mean, I had to do the, we had to mow the lawn. We had three quarters of an acre and like, I was out there every Saturday busting a hump on that up the hills. Uh, it, like sh- shockingly, there were hills in Florida, uh, in our, in our house or in our, in our yard. But, um, I don't know. Kids, I think kids today, uh, just, they don't, they don't have the toughness. Too many, too much validation of feelings, not enough chores being done. Exactly. Uh, and he does say that specifically he is going to teach Trey to be responsible. That's his, mm-hmm. that's his focus. Um, and so we have this great montage of water dripping and them being awake, uh, Trey going to the bathroom and there's a crackhead in the house and furious shoots, but misses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, he says, I was aiming for his head. Is that to say that he wasn't actually, or that he's just a bad shot? Oh, I think he meant he missed. I don't yeah. think he was. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he. It would be untrue to the film that someone pulled a gun and didn't intend to use it. Mm. Right. Like that's like that person in the real life is going to shoot to kill. Mm. Yeah. But we have they end up having to wait over an hour for the cops to show up, and they're total dicks to them, especially Officer Coffee and Jason. Did you recognize Jesse Lawrence Ferguson? No. What's he from? I knew it was Faze, but I couldn't remember where he's from. So he was amazing in Prince of Darkness that we did with oh, Slim. Oh, right, right. He's the he's one who's like Carpenter's laughing Prince and crying as he's been turned yes, into like he crazy. he was fantastic in that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's good. I, what, like, what do you think about, let's talk about this choice to make like the bad cop black in this, uh, in this movie. All right, before we get to, before we got to get to the context, y'all, okay. y'all jump into the stuff. Okay. Yeah, and we're going to have so two, look, there's two, there's two scenes. There's the interest scene, and I know we'll talk about the other the, when we get to the, to the, the context. But, yeah, go for it. Y'all get to, so, so this is, a, this is contextual, this is a contextual movie, so. This movie came out in 1991. Right. It was, I think, not six months after this movie came out that Rodney King got beat up. Right. And it wasn't a year and a half after this movie came out that there were the Rodney King riots. And all, but all of that tension in Los Angeles and all that tension with the Bay Area, because we sort of have the same sort of dynamics, was already building. And so yeah. this movie is uniquely focused on the way that cops interact with the black community in particular. Mm-hmm. And I think they do a really good job of kind of laying the predicate and telling that story. I think it was a brilliant directorial decision to kind of make all the bad cops black. Um, and I can, I can get into why I thought that was interesting. Please do it. No, do it. Do it. There was a really, and I'm not saying that the world is a better place now, but there was this notion in the sort of 80s and 90s that if you just hired a bunch of black cops, it would solve all the policing problems. Mm. And that was not, shall we say, the lived experience of the black community, particularly around L.A., particularly around the Bay Area. It's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that every good rap album from like 89 to 93 that came out of anywhere in California is, is literally two sides of a CD, actually see a tape at the time, complaining about the police. Yeah, right. There was a lot of just there was a bad it was a bad bad relationship between the two communities between the police and the citizens on the other. So it's basically anticipating the argument or it's making the argument that like the problem is structural, not like the staffing of it's power. Yeah, it's a power dynamic, which is a really good it's a really good argument. It's a really good argument. Um, yeah, I, I I like that. That's really good. Mm. Mm. So uh, you do have this great uh, Singleton said he really wanted uh, Furious to have a good line. And so the cop says... Something wrong? Something wrong? Yeah. It's just too bad you don't know what it is. Brother. (laughs) (laughs) And it's such a great delivery uh, uh, that's in there. 
Um, so now we go to Doughboy and Ricky. So this is where they're walking on the train tracks. And right. this is a direct reference to, to Stand River Phoenix's Stand By yeah. Me. Yeah, and the sure. do you want to see a dead body, right? Both of those. Yeah, things. for sure. Yeah, it's. I, I mean, like, I, I mean, I think it has to be a conscious echo. It's so intentional. I think it's really interesting to see it recontextualized to South Central. And I'm gonna say something. that's just a cultural comment. Ricky was played by an actor named Morris Chestnut. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a single black male actor, living or dead, who excites black women more than Morris Chestnut. <laughs> if my wife was here, oh, yeah. she would say that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard, I've heard, I've heard tell of this. Yeah, that's great. This is young Boris. Our old Boris seems to still have it, so I assume Doesn't young matter. Boris is better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any Morris is good. <laughs> Any Morris in a storm. Uh, so, so we have the kids. They see the dead body, and then there's basically some street toughs uh, that take the football from that from Ricky, who's wearing yeah. a forty-two jersey, right? Like, uh, so we got Jackie Robinson in there as well. Uh-huh. Um, but we have Doughboy goes and tries to get it back. Uh, right. And he ends up getting his ass kicked uh, in right. the midst of doing that. Uh, but as they're walking back, um, I didn't catch it the first time. And when I was re-listening today, he said that that football was given to Ricky by his dad. And they have two right. separate yes. fathers. Um, so the notion that he would have the loyalty and love for his brother to risk himself to try and do that, I thought was awesome. Yeah, that was, uh, I, that was that was great. It was like a great little vignette in the middle of this movie of like sort of just like a boy's life thing that like, again, is a very particular mm. place, but also like feels like there's a universal element of that too, which is just like, you know, there's like people are, you know, you're going to end up bullied at some point. You're going to end up a conflict with older kids and like, you know, how do you stand up for your brother and all of those, all of those things. It's like, and, and like, I think the fact that there is this conscious echo to stand by me, which again tackles with the, some of those same things, like, um, yeah, it's a, it's, it makes it a really charming, like, kind of... The other thing I would note, they just showed people as human beings. Right. They showed the brotherly love. They will come to this at the end where they show the brotherly love again. Mm, it, right. It, it, it didn't, they didn't do the stilted, faraway characters where they're not real. Like, that's actually something that I could see happening in real life. Even the, even the guy who, even the guy with his shirt off, who, like, is, like, sort yeah, of one of the bullies. The a, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, although I noted that Ricky dropped it, which I don't know if they didn't have time to do another take or if he was trying to. John I thought that was. I thought that was. I thought that was believable. Like, like you'd have like so much nerves about trying to like be, yeah. trying to be on the spot there that you would drop it. I don't know. I've never caught a football in my life. So speaking of which, we got in a little bit last week, Jeremiah, the half court challenge and the uh, the, uh, the the field goal challenge, and and the there's some some bets pending. Some bets. You want pending. to dispute? You want to dispute anything that was there? <laughs> We're not even going to talk about this. We're going to move on to the movie today. We're Lies were told when I wasn't here. (laughs) All right. Inadmissible. Inadmissible today's record. Exactly. So Furious takes, uh, you know, Furious takes Trey to go fishing, which again, Singleton said his dad used to do that all the time. And he talks about the three rules of respect. Um, And then they also have a sex ed talk. There's a lot of sex ed going on in this movie. Yeah. Um, both in terms of not getting pregnant, not getting diseases. Uh, so it was very much uh, in the mind at this point. I was making notes on the sex ed talk. Uh, like I, I was, I was How to like, do this? Oh, this is, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to need some, I'm going to need some pointers. I'm not looking forward to that day. Uh, You're like Griffin, a scenes. lightsaber. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. Can't just thrust your lightsaber anywhere. Well, ac- yeah. And, and actually the line he says is, well, remember this. Any fool with a dick can make a baby, but only a real man can raise his children. Mm-hmm. 
That's yeah. not his line, but it was in his movie. What was it? No, 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 no. That's the line that was said, but I don't think he wrote that line. I think it's a, I think it's some rap songs. I don't think he oh, came really? out. Oh. I've heard that line a bunch. I don't think that's uh, Scott Simmons. I think he just wow. took it. Wow, okay. Interesting. Okay. I could be wrong. Maybe he got to be with the rim, but I've heard yeah. that line a hundred times. There's also yeah. a nice moment here where he talks about how he went to Vietnam to earn respect, um, but ultimately the notion of being a black man in the white man's army is not where you want to be. Of course, Lords Fishburne in Apocalypse Now is yeah, uh, a very young, uh, very young actor. I think he was fourteen uh, uh, when he was uh, shooting that. Ridiculous. For a year young. and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like in the jungle, just of the Philippines, <laughs> just absconded away with Francis Ford Coppola going insane. Seems good. We should do that movie. Oh, yeah, we have. We'll have to do that one too. Yeah, for sure. All right. Very good. Um, so one thing here, uh, so he comes back uh, from his fishing trip and he sees Doughboy uh, getting, a, and I think, is it Chris, uh, getting a, arrested mm. one of the other kids? The guy with the with him in a wheelchair. Well, I forget yeah. his yeah. name. Uh, and so, so two things. Singleton said this was like his big, one of his big Spielberg shot that starts with a dolly going one way and then cuts uh, to the mm. other way. Um, mm. It's a really, really cool shot. He calls it a mini master. Um, mm. But- I was watching this and I was like, come on, are they really arresting kids for shoplifting a football? Yes. <laughs> yes. And I am sorry to say, yeah, I did not know that. That was a new that was a new learning for me. Yeah. It was a rough time. Fuck. The LAPD though this is a this is like during yeah, I mean as Jeremiah already said, this was during like some of the worst of the LAPD's very bad history. Jesus Christ. Uh, um, so that was tough. We cut now seven years later, and it's the barbecue for Doughboy's homecoming. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's a good cut. It's I like jumping forward to the future, and this is the barbecue that Jeremiah already mentioned, and now we get to be introduced to all the older characters. Yeah, one of the things that I noticed in the scene where the guys took the football, it was like Run DMC was playing, um, and there was like early rap going on, uh, and as soon as you jump to 91, like things have moved to R&B, and it's a much more kind of like fun party vibe, at least for this mm -hmm. part. There's lots of there's lots of tougher parts later, but how does that hit with you, Jeremiah? The difference of the music, uh, you know, between those periods. Because that was a barbecue, and not a. That it was the right music for the occasion. It was also supposed to be this festive thing. That hall, that was perfect. I was checking because I we were gonna get into who was at the barbecue because we got we got <laughs> Neil on. Wait, no, you gotta understand. We got Neil on. We got Regina, Regina King. King. Yeah, Regina King. And we have some of you guys might know. We had a woman named Yo Yo. I don't know. I don't know who Yo Yo is. Is she the rapper? Yo Yo was like this rapper who was kind of like Ice Cube's sort of rap partner for a while. Mm. Who I gotta be honest with you, I remember her not looking as good as she looked in this movie. This name is <laughs> <Deep> Yo Yo. <laughs> I had to do a double take go and make sure I, I stopped it to make sure that was really her. This is peak yo-yo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Regina King, Regina King, like always. Regina could act. King, like she is Regina always King good. God damn, she is good. She actually was interesting to me, Mister Warner. What's yeah. interesting about the way to cast the movie is Regina King was way more famous than Neil Long was. Regina King had been in a show called Two Two Seven, had oh, done yeah. other acting gigs before this, but Neil Long just stole everything when she Speak came. Speak on out. it. Tell us about Neil. Neil Long, Long was awesome. <laughs> so Neil Long, for those of y'all don't know, how's the movie. She plays uh, 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 Trey's girlfriend, and young Neil Long is like, it's like watching Michael Jordan '84 at the Garden when he hit 60. <laughs> <laughs> he, won, he didn't, he hadn't won any title, but you knew it was perfection. Young Nia is something special. Uh, she, she, and, be, well, she like, 
17 in that movie, maybe 18. Mm. Let's see. Nia Long. I mean, she's I, the, she's the like first born in 70. She's 52 yeah. now. She's born in 70. So yeah. she was a little older than that. I mean, the movie came out in 91. She was 21. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's she's so, she's so for those of y'all that don't have a visual, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna tell one little di digression of a story. Please. Nia Long to this day is so attractive. <laughs> to this day. <laughs> she was dating one of the coaches in the 2022. NBA Finals. Yes, she was. And like shut down Twitter because it was like a, they were secretly dating. And she posted this like celebratory video when the because he was he was coaching the Celtics when they won a game. And everybody like like I got more text messages about. Did you know that these things wanted to coach? And then like it was like my phone blew up. It was people. I'm telling you, my generation loves me alone. Wow, Mia can do no wrong. I believe she was dating one of the coaches, and he was not exactly single. If I if I we I... didn't know we didn't know that at the time. We didn't know that at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is how this is how cold Mia is. She's dating the coach. Nobody knows it. She showed up with like his twelve year old kid, and nobody, everybody's still like, "Are you sure?" <laughs> I thought I had a shot. <laughs> I mean, sh she looks phenomenal today. Like she looks absolutely yes. phenomenal today. The top photo for Nia Long is a great photo. She's a fantastic actress in this movie. She really She's very good in movies. Oh, sells the hell out of this part. Yeah, yeah. She's also in Friday. Uh, uh, she's and she's in the Best Man. She's had a long illustrious career. Oh, Nia's Nia's done some good stuff. Nia, yeah. Nia, Nia holds it down. Yeah, Jason, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna cut this part. Uh, she was in that movie uh, that we that you didn't want to watch <laughs> that we had. Oh, the, the one that, that like, we had the, as an opportunity. Oh, yeah. right, 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 right. Well, that wasn't because of her. I didn't. <laughs> if I'd known she was in it, I would have. We would have been there. Yeah. 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 Oh my God, Jeremiah. So Regina King for me, obviously Jerry Maguire. You know, life changing. Um, but did you watch Watchmen on HBO? Oh yeah, did you see that one on HBO? That's no, not, that's I watched exactly the show where she was a cop. There was a shot. There was a show where she was actually a cop in LA mm. with the guy from um, the theme song was uh, uh, it was a it was a Fox show. Is God? I can picture they were a little short white guy. And they were both cops. It was like it's recent. It's in the last like ten years. It's like it was a very good show. Huh. No, it wasn't a rookie. It was a different cop. She was very good in that show. Okay, uh, I'll think of it. But anyway, so Regina King, solid actress. Yo, yo, I'm not going to talk about that. They didn't give her enough lines, <laughs> and it may have been a reason. For no, that. no, she didn't have much. May have been a reason for that. Yeah. <laughs> when Trey shows up. And you have this shot of Nia Long, like the, it, there's the Goodfellas shot, like the tight yeah. pull in, uh, close in on her. It was just so awesome. Yeah. Um, and Trey tries running game on her and just totally blows it. She bounces. Uh, and so <laughs> I love Trey's outfit in this scene. Oh it's my so God. strong. He looks great. Like this is so, it's so 90s, this outfit that Kuba's wearing this scene. It, yes, yes. It looks because it's like somewhere between dressed up and slippery. Like somebody coming to sell you some bad life insurance. <laughs> he does. He looks so good. It really if you don't watch me. episodes of Martin, it's the kind of thing Martin would wear. It's completely <laughs> spot on. Though. I had that. I had the shoes with the tassels. He had the whole fit. No, mm. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I hadn't been to the barbecue, but I will say those yes. pants made it to the Midwest. Like the the yes. overall the, like, like Zikavarici. I own yeah. those. Yeah. I own those Zikavarici yeah. pants. I wore them yes. out before I got the trench coat. I had the Zikavarici's <laughs> Zikavarici pants were underneath, and they were that was like the style. style. It looked so foolish. Like he came out of that, and I was like, "Take me back." Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> we can dress like that now. We can go get those clothes now. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they're available. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Good luck. Good luck. So he he takes off um, and he ends up rescuing a baby from the middle of the street. Um, yeah. And this is, you know, kind of an introduction to some of the shadier stuff happening right in the neighborhood uh, with the crackhead who has her baby out there. Um, mm-hmm. But as he after he's done this good deed, um, he's walking across the street. I didn't realize this until seeing the second time. It's Ferris. And his crew that pull up and put the shotgun on him. Um, um, and pull him insane. up short as he has right, to stand right. there. Yep. It's awful. Uh, the look on yeah. his face as he has to stand there and just be powerless, and they drive away. Um, so the foreshadowing. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't catch that either. By the way, I've yeah. never thought that. There you go. We we get See, deep. It's a, it's a, we get deep. You learn things <laughs> on this podcast. Look, it took me. I two- watched this. Like, I watched. I watched it on the iPad this time because I was traveling, so I didn't get. I, maybe I didn't see the Ferris. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I saw it on the on the second time. I missed it the first time. So now we have this haircut scene. Um, yes. And so this is this is Furious cutting Trey's hair. I'm getting old, Pop. I'm getting old. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm getting better, young brother. You getting old. <laughs> Man, you old. You older than dirt. Oh, I'm older than dirt, huh? Yes. <laughs> no, no, no. I ain't but 17 years older than you. Okay? Now, your friends out here, they got fathers in their 40s and 50s, man. These cats are great, big, just slobs, man. You know, bellies out to here. (laughs) That's going to be you. That's going to be you, man. Big old, fat, juicy roll, double jelly roll. I love this scene. This is, like, so beautiful. They're having so much fun. Yeah, it's so intimate. It's so, like, it's so loving, this scene. It's just, it's a really beautiful scene. It's extraordinarily humanizing, which, which is the concept of it's very humanizing. It's a beautifully done scene. Yeah. yeah. And he's only, he's only uh, you know, kind of reacts when he says he's going to be a grandfather. Um, and he, you know, we have our next sex ed talk uh, that he's not ready to be a grandfather and pushing on that. Um, right. And then in the very next scene, Trey cruising in his blue beetle with Ricky yeah. admits that he's a virgin uh, because right. he's afraid of being a daddy. Um, and so we love montages on Dune Pod, and we will on Escape Hatch. The whole Brandy, you know, can he, you know, hit the skins? Uh, and as Tony, Tony, Tone plays. <laughs> Jeremiah, haven't you seen Tony, Tony, Tone on the, in concert? Have I, mean, I seen it? First of all, it's Tony, Tony, Tony. Tony yeah. Not Tony, Tony, Tony. Tony. Okay. Tony's. Okay. Yeah. Tony, Second Tony, of all, thank you. the pride of Oakland, California. Yes, I've seen him in concert. Everybody my age who grew up here has seen Tony, Tony, Tony. All right. They're great in concert. I stand corrected. What's the last time, what's the last time you saw them? Well, they had a falling out because there was some money missing. Oh, no. So they don't perform anymore. They got a fake. They got two. They got a blue squad and a red squad. They don't miss. Oh. So you don't get the same <laughs> situation. Do they have, like, substitute Tonys that, that like, pop? Yes. It's always three Tonys in each group. But it's what, it was only three to start off with. So how do you got six now? Where are they coming from? They invented Tonys. <laughs> we only had three. We was, I saw them in 95. It was only three. And two of them are brothers, and those are the ones that don't get along. Supposedly. Oh, wow. Wow. You know? All right. Yeah. yeah one of them stole the other one's money. Very confident. Uh, very confident. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, and mom common. was mom was just like, all right, I guess another Tony, uh, you know, for the second <laughs> the brother. The third one was not a, the third one was like a, not, I maybe a cousin or something. He was not one of those. I understand it. Okay. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> Appreciate that. 
But this decision to do this intercutting back and forth between Trey basically trying to convince Brandy to sleep with him and saying, oh, we're going to get married later so we can just do this now, as well as um, as well as Ice Cube pick, running pickup lines uh, to pick up girls is hilarious. But when the crackhead tries to steal um, from uh, from the other guy and they beat his ass, that crackhead has a T-shirt that says, we want easy. Oh yeah, that, that, and this is like a real maneuver he tries to pull, where he tries to like run up on them and like get away with oh, get away with stealing, stealing like a quick run. Like I don't think he run, thought yeah. about it very well. Like no, <laughs> let me just say, one, let me say one thing. In the history of theft, a crackhead has never stolen from anybody and <laughs> ran away and got away. With it. <laughs> yeah. They have to do it when nobody's looking. But yeah. crackheads are not known for their Olympic speed. Yeah, yeah. and endurance yeah. not a not big. Yeah. Uh, so, but specifically Singleton, because of Ice Cube, he he had somebody go get an easy, easy we want easy t-shirt so that they could kick that guy's ass wearing it oh my as God. a snub of easy, because that's oh when easy God. was out of N- NWA uh, and things had all right. fallen apart. Oh, wow. That's Classic. layers. That's good. Yeah, deep, deep. Uh, Mom is trying to get him to come live with her, but he's still staying there. Now we have this great moment of the USC scout is coming, and this, this sort of oh, takes yeah. the movie for the next little while here. And the question is, you know, will Ricky make it out? And Doughboy, with all of his homies on the porch, he is serious about making sure to get the, the scout in and to kind of try and be as professional as he can be. Yeah. You get the sense that he's proud of Ricky and he doesn't as want to As professional fuck as you can be holding a bottle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, But this scout just says, if he can clear 700 on his SATs, he's good to go. Right. So I did not do well on my SATs. I, <laughs> so I, I want to know what your scores are. Oh, Jesus. We're not getting into that. Come on now. Come we on. We went to Princeton. Our scores were good. <laughs> <laughs> <Like, laughs> Our scores can, can were I, can, good. Can I, I'm going to change the topic. I'm not getting into my SATs. <laughs> right, right. I, will, I, I, but I, I will say this. The SAT thing is real. Um, there was a... No matter how good you were in football, either you had to cheat on the test or you had to get a certain number of certain level scores to get in. There's actually part of the reason, and this is a deep cut for because you went to the deep cuts earlier. If you notice, you see at the end, Trey is wearing a Georgetown T-shirt. Yeah. The reason that black people love Georgetown is because John Thompson was the head basketball coach. Yeah. And he actually protested against a lot of the things that you're talking about vis-a-vis minimum SAT scores and the way they treated black athletes. Uh-huh. And, they, and they got Ewing, and they were very good at basketball. But, like, wearing Georgetown stuff was in some ways a form of protest. That's why they, if you look in the movie, there's a couple of Georgetown shirts. That's wow. cool. That's great. That's awesome. Look at that. Oh, that's great. Yeah. We need the fact bell for that. <laughs> yeah. That's great. And then I went to Georgetown in college, and I was like, this is an old white Catholic school. We yeah. were walking <laughs> down. We thought we were fighting. I was going to say, I was going to say, when did the penny drop on what's going on at Georgetown? Because I'll tell you who else liked Georgetown. A lot of Midwestern Jews were really into Georgetown, too, and we were confused, ultimately, about what was going on there as well. I felt snookered when I went over there. I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. Wait a minute. Because I had a Georgetown bucket hat. Yeah, nice. I would. I, I let me tell you, I wouldn't wish. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. I like going to going to school in DC is not the vibe. Oh man, I just left DC. It's not good, man. Jeremiah and I, Jeremiah and I, had to go to DC quite a bit when we were in college because we would debate there quite often. We go to Georgetown, Gito, like all the all those spots. It was hell. It was terrible. Mm. Good lord. 
two so two things i did did you guys think uh kind of rewatching it for the first time that the recruiter was going to bounce when he saw ricky's kid i did no no i did i thought that i did not because i know how recruiters were yeah I was so happy when he didn't like, I thought it, cause he like hesitates for a minute, but so I was glad that was there. And then just the pure, the pride of Ricky's mom, how much she loves him, what it means for him, uh, you know, for the hard work that he's done. Yeah. It's just really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So now we have those guys visiting furious at work. He's a financial advisor mm -hmm. and he's on the phone. Like, don't worry about the interest rate. The interest rate hasn't moved two points in five years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, listen, there was a long period where that was true. <laughs> yeah. But I was in the mortgage business in 93 doing it 93, 94 and the interest rate shot up and, and the yeah, whole yeah, industry yeah, was yeah. fucked. Listen, so. listen, listen. Yeah. Well, it, it, look, it works till it doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> Jeremiah's in the investment business right now. I'll tell you about what happens when the interest rate hey, goes up. Hey, a lot up. of things work until they don't work. No, when they no. don't work, it's a whoop. You need a, <laughs> if you need some scooters on the cheap, <laughs> find some out. Some scooters and some Dodge coins. Now is the time. Listen, I have cheap. to. I have to tell I have to tell a story out of school. Uh, maybe we'll edit it out, depending on how we feel about this. But I heard a story today. This is outlandish of one of I won't name it just for the sake of 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 clearance. <laughs> but one of the high profile uh, uh, NFT companies, when they got funded, they wanted to cash out some of the some of the founders. And the typical way you do this is a secondary, where like the new investors buy the shares of the existing founders. Not this case. In this case, in order to win the deal, the VCs who did the deal during the height of the NFT craze, instead of doing a secondary, issued a cash dividend to the founders. They kept their shares and they just got a suitcase of cash. Whoa. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Have you ever heard of such a thing? That is That is outlandish. I happen to be an expert. <laughs> I happen to be an expert in private. I've never heard of that. But yeah. I will tell you, I will tell you, in this weekend's, I believe it was the Wall Street Journal, they had the most famous athletes you could find, Shaquille O'Neal, Steph Curry, oh, yeah. Tom Brady, yeah. Naomi Osaka. They all getting sued because they were peddling some of that crypto. It yeah. didn't work out. It didn't work out. Did they finally serve, serve Shaq? Did they give, did they give Shaq the no, papers? No, Shaq's they kick Shaq seven foot two, 290. They can't find can't Shaq find nowhere. Him. They can't, on TV every day, they can't find him. I'm serious. I'm serious. Uh, they were looking for it. They said he's evading server. They said they threw the papers at his limo. It was a whole list of what they tried to do. I think they. I think it was good friend of the pod, uh, Jason Concepcion, who said the way they should do it is have like Kenny the Jet run them, run the papers of the score, run the papers of the board. But I can't find it. Jack is on TV every night. He's seven foot one. He was. I was watching basketball last night. He was in the arena. Can't find him. Can't find him. Lost with the footage of E forty. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Um, so we do have this great uh, element of Furious who is fighting against gentrification. So this is what I was referring earlier. They go to Compton and the boys are like freaked out. Yes. Right? Like there's a moment where they're looking around and they're like, this yes. is not Why a good place. Why are we place. here? Yeah, exactly. They um, are. They're, they think they're in the wrong hood. Ricky yeah. even pauses for a minute drinking his quart of white milk. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm not an LA geography person. I, I caught what you caught. I don't know the... Compton versus South Central. I couldn't tell you the differences. Yeah. But it was obvious that he was trying to tell that story. I just don't know the, the backdrop to give you color on that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Mm. 
but it, he does push against gentrification and saying that they need to keep the businesses and the and the uh, housing black uh, and and basically not be. <laughs> the one thing that I thought was kind of laughable at the time and laughable even more now is. Nobody was gentrifying Concord in 1991. <laughs> <laughs> nobody, nobody would put a nickel into that place at night. So you're railing against. You would hope some capital came your way. Yeah. Now, in the fullness of time, I know right, there's, sure. there's been some changes there. Like right. Harlem is a little is not like other places. Black areas, but in '91, nobody had to worry about gentrification. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. That was funny. Uh, so we go from there. Now we're rounding the corner here for the last big push, and we go to the Crenshaw lowrider scene. Yeah, this is such a good scene. This, this is this in the basket. This in the um, the uh, the barbecue scene. Or like, I was, I was like, never seen this. Never, never been to the Crenshaw lowrider scene. We didn't have this in St. Louis. I'll tell you what. In the Jewish enclave of suburban St. Louis, we didn't have the lowriders. <laughs> <laughs> so my wife, I'm gonna tell another story. So my wife has always like, because she grew up in Africa, the low low riders were new to her, mm. and we were in LA. I think we were in LA or somewhere, and we stopped at a stoplight, and somebody hit the three wheel motion, <laughs> and I thought it was the. I don't think I've seen her that happy for a week. She was like, so she's like, oh, hit again. She screamed at the. She like, you don't see that every day. You gotta go somewhere to see that. Mm. That's great. That's great. It's like she saw Morris Chestnut. She was. She was. Yeah. She's exactly. Exactly. Morris <laughs> keep her away from him. And Morris Chestnut was in the. It was in it when the three wheel motion hands. It'd be a. It'd be a problem. <laughs> Big be problem. problem. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but they do take time to have like a, the religious debate, you know, and and um, you know Doughboy basically saying why does God let people you know let kids get killed, um, and Ferris comes and bumps Ricky. It's just or yeah, it's just dumb. Um, and Doughboy immediately escalates it. And then there's this great moment where Ferris's girl says, can't we have one night without anyone getting shot? Yeah. And I was like, this is great. Someone is yeah. speaking <laughs> goodness. And he, Doughboy turns to her, shut up, bitch. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah. no, that's not <laughs> no. it. <laughs> well... You know, it is what it is at this one. Yeah, it's like it's it is. It's, it's, she's not going to get her in one night's night. No, that was tough. Uh, so Ferris ends up firing his Uzi, and everybody scatters, including I notice as he's driving away uh, as Doughboy. One of the extras falls and almost gets run over. And in the commentary, Singleton said he told Ice Cube only what was happening. And everybody was already on, they were nervous because there had been drive-by shootings nearby. And so when they let loose with the Uzi sound effects, those reactions by the extras was real. Oh, God. (laughs) It's like some Kubrick shit. Welcome to Los Angeles. Yeah. Down. (laughs) Well, no. You ain't got to act. (laughs) Did you, is it definitely an Uzi and not like a Mac 9 or something? Have you, did you do the, uh, did you do the, the munitions track? The, the oh, I did check. not. It All looked right, like an Uzi to me, but okay, fair enough. We'll, we'll, we'll go run the tape, find out. But the idea of on any given night or on every night that there's going to be gunfire, uh, to have to try and live your life in that kind of environment is just like, it's yeah. hard to imagine how you would do that. Yeah. Yeah. That was a tough one. I, it's, it, it, I think that's like where 
you know, like they, they start as you get into the this is where I was talking about the top half where like you get into the third act of this movie and you feel like sort of the confidence of being able to show this broader reality of like what's going on outside of like the lives of the characters. And it, it just becomes like very tangible. See, my, I actually like the first third because I think it's so much. It's like a beautiful part of it. This is the, I see why you like the second part of it. I like it, too. But it's much more about the world than it is about the people in the. That's right. It's more about the. It's more about the world. It's like, like outside forces, and I just like the people. Keep it simple, but right? I hear, but like you need it both. Mm. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. You don't get back to the barbecue again, basically. In no, the second there's half, there's no yeah. more. The only communal scene is like the is like the ending, and it's not a positive scene. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so trying to get out of there, uh, Ricky and Trey get pulled over uh, by Officer Coffee again. So this is the second time, and Coffee literally just takes out his three fifty seven or whatever and just puts it right on Smith yeah. and Wesson is what okay. he calls it. Thank mm. you. Uh, so he puts it right on his face. So let me just play. Uh, let me play what Singleton had to say about this scene. Oh, great! Any black man in America can identify with this this scene. You know. Getting roughed up by the cops just because you know, even if even if the cop looks you know is black, you know it's the whole thing, you know the whole authority thing, you know what I mean? Um, it's really dehumanizing. Singles has got a great voice. He's got he's got a real good. He's got a, he sounds so California too. I didn't realize like that. Yeah, he, he like he, he sounds he sounds exactly like when that I he's said from. he's from the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah, can yeah. tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, this was this was the most profound part of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, just really striking that, and, and his reaction to that right in the next scene. Um, as he really loses it and says he wants to. Kuba plays the shit out of this man. Like he. The next scene's my favorite scene in the movie, by the way. All right, Mm -hmm. let's talk about it. Yeah, get into it. And like, I know you're trying to, but you can't do one without the other. The next scene is my favorite scene in the movie. Yeah. Well, he just loses it. He, he, he heads to Brandy's place. Um, and she, even before he gets there, there's gun, there's gunfire outside the window and helicopters flying around. Um, but when he walks in and she asks how he's doing, he basically says, and he begins kind of just like railing uh, and, you know, in powerlessness and ends up just sobbing, uh, you know, onto her. And even like his reaction where, you know, where he kind of stops and says, you know, I can't believe I'm crying in front of, you know, in front of a girl. Um, so tender. I love it. Why, do, why, do you, why is this your favorite scene, Jeremiah? Because I thought it was so real and I'd never seen the second part of the scene before. Mm. So there are a lot of movies that have the mm. first part mm. that have the cop with the gun and the black guy getting ripped up. There's almost no scenes have the second part. Mm. And if you notice in the second part, does Koopa even talk? Mm-hmm. Does he say anything? Mm. Like, he, like, punches air mm-hmm. for a long time. And then eventually he does say something about, I'm tired of this. But it's it felt like it was forever, but it wasn't that long. It's just so well done. That's great. That's great. Yeah, very, very powerful. I'm reminded of this thing. I'm reminded of this thing that there's this famous, like, kind of uh, Denzel clip that gets pushed around TikTok a lot where someone, like, asks him, like, 
you know, like, it was sort of like, what does it mean? To, like, it's basically like, could someone else have made this movie? Could someone, could a white director have made this movie or something like that? And he said, he, he had this whole thing. It was like, it's about, it's about the lived cultural experiences. Like, it's not about like, just, it's not just about like the, you know, the race. It's about like the lived cultural experience. He's like, you know, he's like, yeah, like, he's like, you know, I guess like Martin Scorsese could have made Schindler's List and like Steven Spielberg could have made Goodfellas. But like, there's something about like those, there's something about those, li the, those lives that they just don't know. And like there are these all these cultural things that you know that that a, another director wouldn't know. And I think like I think like that that notion that you didn't get the second half of the scene in any other movie before is really is really strong here. Mm. That you didn't get like the full picture before. So I agree with that completely. The only caveat I will give you is what I tell people that that Boys in the Hood is, is is the best black movie ever made. A lot of people will object, and the movie they will object with is a movie directed by Steven Spielberg, which is called Purple. Mm. Oh, which yeah. is one of the few movies I've seen of that type that is gets that that like that southern vibe completely one hundred percent spot on correct. Mm. But yeah. I think in general you're right, Jason. That's a I mean that's a really powerful movie. I I don't even know the whole story. And to be fair, he was taking a novel written by he was, I was taking gonna a say Alice Walker, Walker yeah. and yeah. adapting it. So it's a little different direct something you didn't write. Um, John Singleton wrote and directed, so that's yeah, yeah. not you're not comparing apples to oranges. Yeah. Apples, I should say. Very fair. Yeah. Very fair. So they end up they end up kind of having a very tender lovemaking scene, um, which is interrupted at the end by a helicopter um, circling, and they actually even laugh, you know, uh, a little bit in that in that moment. The absurdity uh, of it's there, but it's just always it's always there. So we cut from there to Furious and Riva. I love this scene, and I love how. Reva basically knocks him off the horse a little bit and says, you know, like, it's great that, that you've been a father to your son, our son. Um, you're not doing anything that, that mothers haven't been doing since the dawn of time, mm -hmm. which I thought was, I thought was strong. The one thing I like about the back and forth between the two parents is they didn't make any one of them a villain. Yeah. Most movies you see like this, one of them is a bad person. Yeah. Or at least perceived as a bad person. Neither one of these are bad people. Especially they're just two people who had a kid together that it wasn't working out, and they try to do what was best for the kid, even though it kind of pained, even though it pained his mother not to have him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's really surprising, particularly like for any movie from this era, like you know, black, white, mainstream, whatever. Like this to have like co-parenting as a theme is like very contemporary. Like I, I can't remember seeing yeah. that. Of any other, of any, you know, I mean, like it, most movies that dealt with split up parents, it was like, oh, there's like this big trauma, and like one of them sucks, and like you know, they're trying to get them back together, and like you know, whatever. Um, it was very different. I will say the one thing that strikes me, and I, and I happen to be from you know, divorced parents, and <laughs> divorced, yeah. I was you know, about the age of the movie came out. It, I think it's it has always been more normal in the black community, and it's never been viewed in the same for for good or for bad in the same negative way. And so right. it felt very natural to me that they would have like a little bit of a conflict, but they would get along for the kid. Like that felt very natural to me, mm. which I know is very unnatural for everyone else. Totally. Like as a kid of divorced parents, I felt like all of the content I saw about divorced parents when I was like divorced families when I was a kid was like 
trauma processing about it. it was like it was like oh you've had a divorce and like you know here you probably are acting out because of it or what you know so it's like all this like you know after school special theme to it so that's really interesting at this point it's revealed that ferris and crew are hunting them yeah um and so we have this moment where doughboy is kind of you know he's been supportive of ricky doing his thing but he kind of loses it um when it's kind of over nothing, and so you can tell that that it's much more than than nothing that that is triggering him. But this notion of them just getting into it and fighting, as Singleton called it, Cain and Abel, and the mom comes in and smacks Doughboy in the face, and you know, and protects Ricky. And so it's very clear in that moment. What you hit me for, mom? What you hit me for? <laughs> uh, and he's really bummed. You know, he is he is really bummed, but. So Ricky and Trey take off to the store and this is where it's revealed Ferris is chasing them. So I have to ask, this is my problem with the film. This is my only problem with the film. All right. All right. Okay. Ricky, as they're being chased by murderous gangbangers, Ricky stops to take a piss Mm. and then he is walking nonchalantly doing scratchers. So why is this happening, Jeremiah? Like, what are they trying to convey? Like, like Ricky can't, he can't imagine that he's actually at risk or like, what's happening here? He feels like he's on top of the world. I don't like that part of the film either. I think part of it is a confidence that obviously ultimately was misplaced. Mm. But I thought that was strange as well. I also thought, I remember saying this the first time because when I first when I get to the scene, and when when Ricky and Trey, when Ricky's like, my grand idea is we should separate. Yeah, yeah, right. Because the yeah. education is it's like, oh no, don't That's don't split the party. Been a good idea. Uh-uh. <laughs> don't, don't, don't split the party. Other than that, the scene is very very well done. But I think the the scratchers and the not paying attention was kind of superfluous. Yeah, and made it seem kind of stupid. I mean, I'm going to treat it as he just was overconfident in that moment. And yeah. it's a notion of the contrast between Doughboy, who has lived the gangbang life and understands what's going on, and then, uh, you know, Ricky, who hasn't, uh, you know, has been busy on the field. Um, so just when the car appears in the background and then you see uh, Trey turn and shout, Ricky! The only thing you can hear, Singleton calls it out, you hear kids playing, you know, from a, a yard over or whatever, and then the shotgun ringing out. It's just yeah. amazing. This this yeah. scene is phenomenal. It is very good. It is a it is a beautiful, that part of the scene is very beautiful. Mm. And very well, I shouldn't say beautiful, it was very well done. Mm. Yeah. I, I didn't notice it until until watching uh, the commentary. That there's one long shot, uh, you know, where Kuba is holding uh, Ricky, and then um, you know Doughboy comes up, and then the, the other guys are crying in the background, and then Chris in the wheelchair comes to the left side and moves around to the other side, and this is all in one shot. Perfectly yeah, there's a lot of lot of blocking in this in this whole sequence leading into the Big house time. too. Yeah, it's a very kinetic uh, sequence. Which I think is realistic, but I don't have it, you know. Knock on wood, I've never been involved with that, so I tend to... But it seems... It, it stretches how I think it would happen. Yeah, and, like, even... I, I've never been involved in a shooting either, but, like, you know, you've been, you'd be involved in moments where something, like, happens, and there's this sense of, like, all this action happening, you know, like, people trying to, like, make sense of it, trying to move around, and uh, to, to be able to capture that in camera is pretty remarkable filming. The scene where they drive the body back. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he puts the... Now, I don't know who in the world would actually do this. Mm-hmm. They on put the, couch. the body on the couch. Yeah. Yeah. And 
his wife, girlfriend, whatever he wanted yeah. to call her, that guttural scream. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. That was so like it like cut through everything. Yeah. And the instinct in that moment for Doughboy to say, "Give me the baby." Uh, the baby right, doesn't, need, doesn't to need to see that. See I thought that was yeah. really that was really powerful. But then when the mom begins smacking him and shouting, "What yeah. did you do? What did you do?" Yeah. It's so intense. That scene is so intense. Can I tell you what I thought? And I had to tell her the first time. When they left the house, the two brothers were fighting. Mm-hmm. I think it's somewhat of an illusion that he killed him. Right. Mm. Right, 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 right. Right. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. Interesting. I. I I also was like, just the the visceralness of putting him on the couch that, and you know, like the sort of the couch is meant to be this like protected like like object. It's the same spot where the recruiter sat, by the yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. It's like you've already established like this is like the place of honor, and like you know, uh, it's not to be messed up. Like to me, huh. that like, made it feel like all the more like I don't know, like a void that had been a, a, like a real loss. Mm. Brutal. Mm. And so Trey just says, meet me at my house in five minutes. Um, and he walks out. And we now have Furious stopping Trey. Mm -hmm. This is a great moment uh, where he essentially says, I'm sorry about your friend. My heart goes out to his mother and his family, but that's their problem, Trey. You my son. You my problem. Yeah. <laughs> you my only son, and I'm not going to lose you to no bullshit. You hear? <laughs> I love you. And I love you and them <laughs> hugging each other. And Singleton just called it out. Like he just wanted to pour that love into the scene and let people see it uh, and let people see what it means. It was so good. It was very well done. Trey then slips out the window yeah. and it's on. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so this song playing, this is Stanley Clark. We should actually get into it. So Stanley Clark is a jazz bass player um and in 88 or 89 during my soft jazz phase we've the under we haven't covered the soft jazz phase as much uh on the podcast all right so i was listening to stanley clark i was listening to david sanborn saxophone player right. robert fripp right. and lee rittenauer who were guitarists bella fleck um you sure. know that, that this was I definitely know. uh you know some make out albums uh that okay. maybe were not we're not the best uh options but all right you ended up with a you ended up with a kid anyway <laughs> <laughs> anyway i was into it and i had the stanley clark album i i mean i had the album and i loved it yeah. and i thought he was an amazing guitarist and or bass player and he's great in this yeah that's good he also did romeo must die and the transporter <laughs> tell us more about stanley clark how much Stanley Clark, Clark notes do you have? That's it. That's all. I mean, deep in it. It was a deep cut. <laughs> yeah. But this song is great as they're driving and, and Furious yeah. is, is like rolling the meditation balls. Yes, I love the meditation balls. I love the meditation balls. It's like, a, I know my kid is out yeah. and I hope he comes back. It's so good. Yeah, and Cuba just says, Don't. Let me out. Yeah. Let me yeah. out. So this to me yeah. is one of the best parts. There's no debate. There's no argument. There's no justification. There's no questioning. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. you're out. Okay, you're out. Like, that's fine. Yep. Yep. So they go and they find Ferris and his boys at the restaurant and they take all of them out. Yeah. Um, 
and Cube basically just shooting, you know, straight up execution style. Ice Cube is such a fucking badass. Like he's, I mean, this is like, he really is a good, like, like he's a good actor. Like he's like very charismatic. He's very watchable. He's like great as like a badass. He's great being funny. He's great in this. He was good in this movie. Mm. He was really good in this movie. Like he's just, a, he's just a great personality. Mm. Mm. So now we have, it's the final day. Uh, we have Trey and Doughboy. Uh, Singleton said it was, um, it was Ice Cube's idea to have him in shorts and slippers, which we hadn't seen before. Um, <laughs> drinking a 40 coming across the street. And just this discussion where he talked about turning on the TV um, and the notion that people were being shown violence that was happening, you know, in foreign places. Yeah. And he says, I started thinking, man. Either they don't know, don't show, or don't care about what's going on in the hood. Which was the tagline of what they used to advertise this movie. I showed that. That was what was in the commercials. Mm. I remember that. I remember that from the commercials, actually. And then, and then, like, increase the piece was the actual like tagline, like yes. poster tagline for the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's because uh, they had to they had to put did, the, the they had to put the positive. Yeah, <laughs> they had to put peace on. it. Well, that's somewhere. in the credits too. Uh, yeah. After they uh, after they showed the logo. Uh, yeah. But ultimately, you have you know he had said that he'd lost his brother and he'd lost his mother. Um, yeah. Uh, but Trey says you've still got one brother, and so like their their connection there is great. And then we have him walking across the street and we have the the, the text saying that Ricky uh, was buried the next day and then uh, Doughboy was killed two weeks later and he disappears, which I guess is an homage again to Stand By Me. Um, I'd forgotten oh, that. Oh, yeah, because that they, the do that, they do that after credits and the character disappears. Yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. I hadn't thought about that. Did Singleton talk about Stand By Me in the comments? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, he loved interesting. it. Interesting. That's such an interesting choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But and then we have the news that Trey and Brandy made it out, and they made it to college, Morehouse in Georgia, um, mm. and credits. How to survive in South Central, a place where busting the cap is fundamental. No, they can't find the shit in a hand. Increase the peace. What a picture. How long is this movie? Is it two hours? Is that basically what it is? It's like like one fifty, I think. Yeah, yeah, just shy of. It's a really well-paced movie. Uh, that's great. Jeremiah, anything we missed? On your notes. Yeah, anything you got, Jeremiah, we didn't cover. The only thing I would say that's more of a musical um, thing is that this movie came up in, like, the context of sort of the gangster rap movement. And so Cube's in it. You pointed out to me, he's in it. All that, like, early 90s, Dr. Dre, all that, like, L.A. music and West Coast, Tupac eventually came from this. It's all, like, from this moment in time. And right. like this energy, and you can feel it when you listen to like when you listen to '90s rap. It's all it's it's this energy. Yeah, and yeah, Singleton yeah. does a really good job of turning that energy into a movie. Mm. But it's 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 you see this for you know the next literally rap to say 20 years of this, thirty years of this. It's the same energy bringing the rap. Mm. Mm. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, Straight Outta Compton came out in 1988. So I was a freshman in college at the University of Florida. I'm sure that was popular there down in, down in uh, uh, I guess it's not Tallahassee. Where are you guys? In the swamp. Where in is Gainesville, that? yeah. I cannot, Gainesville, yeah, I yeah, cannot yeah. tell you how popular that album was. Oh, like, yeah, I, I knew sure. the whole thing uh, yeah, sure. for sure, front and back. Uh, just a, an absolute sensation. 
All right. Well, Jason, I'm going to let you go first. Who, <laughs> Who would, would Tilda Swinton play? play? This is our recurring question. Maybe one of our most challenging, one of our <laughs> most challenging entries for Who Would Tilda Swinton Play? I feel Tilda Swinton can only play the teacher in this movie. Yes. I don't think that I don't think that Tilda Swinton has many other roles available to her in Boys of the Hood uh, that would make a lot of sense. I'm going to put her as the SAT proctor. The SAT proctor. Fair enough. She could be. She could be the recruiter from USC. I guess. I mean, we've cast her. We've cast her in non-Scottish roles before, but like I don't know, I don't really know if she could pull off uh, many of the other roles in this movie. Jeremiah, no. do you have a role you could put Tilda Swinton into? <laughs> I'm looking at this photo and I'm thinking hard. It's gonna be <laughs> a lot of jobs. We're not a lot of jobs in Compton for her. Um, <laughs> yeah. She could have played the waitress at one of them restaurants. There, there, we, go. Go. there we go. There we go. Okay. There you go. All right. Yes. We did That'd be it. a good cameo. We did it. <laughs> All right, can we do some letters here real quick? Good to go. Go ahead. All right, here we go. Our first letter is this exciting new segment. The Truth Sayer. All right, here we go. Beria here. It's time for The Truth Saying for Boys in the Hood. Co-star and legendary OG, Ice Cube, has led an incredible life. Here are three stories about Cube. Two are false. One is true. Let's get to it. Number one... Ice Cube is a huge Lego collector, devoting an entire outbuilding on his property to Lego. He's even wow. built an entire cityscape with skyscrapers and a park made entirely of white Legos. I want that to be so true. Number two, right when NWA was about to break out, Ice Cube was unsure of a future in hip-hop, so he decided to take a hiatus to go get a degree in architectural drafting at the Phoenix Institute of Technology in Arizona. And number three... Ice Cube was signed to play the sidekick in Jean-Claude Van Damme's Double Impact, also released in 1991. What? But he had to back out when he sustained a significant knee injury during pre-production of the film. Which one of oh those three God. stories is true? Wow. Wow. Can I tell you? I know the answer. I know oh, the yeah. answer, too. All right. All right. All right. What, go ahead. Go Jason, ahead. You, Jason you pick. Jason, you, go ahead, you go pick. Ahead. I wanted the Lego one to be true. That's why I'm, I'm hoping that that's the one. The second one is true. The second one's true. Let's hear the truth, Sayer. Now comes the moment of truth. Ice Cube did go get a degree in architectural drafting uh, from the Phoenix Institute of Technology in 1987. Wow. But he never actually went back to pick up his diploma because NWA was taking off. Oh. Cube said, if you want me to draw you a house, I can draw you a house. I don't know if it's going to be livable, though. As Ice Cube <laughs> said, if I tell him the truth he need to hear, he getting mad at me. The truth can hit you as hard as assault and battery. Here ends the truth. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, that's great. That's a good segment. So you know, you know about his architectural background, Jeremiah. You know about Ice Cube. So the reason I know about this is that I watched um, a thing, a director's cut of Straight Outta Compton, mm. and he explained how he was in Phoenix all the time and missed some of the shows. Uh, really. <laughs> That's great. Or something was they were something were recording. It was somehow relevant to how he wasn't there for some of the stuff. That's great. I didn't know it was. I thought he was going to air conditioning school, but okay, <laughs> this is <laughs> close enough. Yeah, draftsman, yeah. draftsmanship, amazing. Thank you, Beria, as always. Thank you, Beria. Here's our next voicemail. Hey, Dune Pod, it's Kev here. Wow, what a thrill to be back here talking about the second to last film ever to be covered on Dune Pod. 
DunePod, a uh, <laughs> a podcast that made its brand talking about the Gen X dad sci-fi movies, and we're talking about John Singleton's legendary, groundbreaking Boys in the Hood. Gen X dads. Kev's question. Singleton developed this script based on his life and experiences and the experiences of people that he knew. And as a result, the movie is a groundbreaking portrait of of a place and a time that this bricklayer son growing up on Long Island, New York, had had no idea existed. It may as well have been an alien planet. (laughs) Kind of, sort of. You get what I mean. Kev's question, if you could make a film based on your life and your experiences... What would it be about, and who would play you, and why wouldn't it be George Clooney, H? I see you. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. Peace and love to Dune Pod. Peace and love to the editing team and the Chuckle Hut and everybody, and I will see you next week for the final episode of Dune Pod. And potentially the final Kev's question? Hmm? Who knows? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Who knows what Escape Hatch will be like? <laughs> but until then, peace and love. Once again, it's Kev's questions. Anyway... Peace and love. I I think that, you know, I, there hasn't been enough movies about Midwestern suburban Jews and, what, and what's, what's going on. And I think, like, you know, you could easily do one about St. Louis, suburban St. Louis. There's really not a lot of St. Louis movies generally. Um, and uh, I think Michael, or what's his name, Michael Stuhlbarg um, from A Serious Man would be, uh, we'd have to get him in the movie for sure. Um, and uh, yeah, that's who I would choose to play me. I think you, I think it would be, you're selling yourself short. I think it's Corey Stahl playing you. Um, Corey Stahl. Who was choice. on West Wing, was MODOK in the new Ant-Man movie and was yes, the bad yes, guy. Wait, who in West Wing was he? Who in West or, Wing sorry, was not, he? not West Wing. On, he was uh, in uh, House, House of Cards. Cards. Yeah. House of Cards. He's the, he's the, he was Russo, the coked up. No, he's the oh, coked okay, up okay. congressman. Okay. Uh, oh yeah, congressman. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That's right, that's right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Very good. Uh, what, what about you? What are you about you, H? Uh, for me, I mean, it should probably be it should River pro- Phoenix. Yeah. It should probably be River Phoenix playing <laughs> River me Phoenix. in, in the, the Henry and his lover saga. Yeah. Uh, back in Gainesville, like an awesome, like 91. Are there any movies set in Gainesville? That's a great question. I honestly don't, I don't think there are. Jeremiah, are there any that movies involve, set in- that don't involve football? <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> are there any movies set in Vallejo? Are there any like Bay Area movies that aren't? So arguably, so couple of them so one arguably poetic justice oh really poetic justice is this insanely interesting movie i've seen it a lot um, i've seen poetic justice more than i've seen boys in the hood so poetic justice and this is another it was made for people who aren't actually from here because the entire movie is a drive from san francisco to los angeles that seems like it takes six weeks right <laughs> but but the thing that makes it magnetic is is janet jackson and it's young janet and young tupac yeah. and they yeah. just run the cameras oh it is john singleton yeah, and yeah, you yeah. can't get off of it. Wow. A lot of the same actresses in Boys in the Hood. I So this, again, was on HBO a lot. I've seen the movie like 20 times probably. And for a young yeah. Jason Goldman, there's a scene in the movie where Tupac first is flirting with Janet Jackson. And she says to him, do you want to smell my punani? And I, there was no urban dictionary back in 1995 <laughs> or whatever. And I had to go on some kind of quest to figure out what this <laughs> meant. <laughs> And it was very difficult to come up with. I think it la- my uncertainty lasted for twenty years. But yeah, that's a that's a, that's a banger of a movie. Uh, Janet Jackson is unbelievable in that movie. Oh young Janet, God. like I'm oh telling you, right. young Janet, young Janet. Oh my God. <laughs>
93. Unsurpassed. And it's a what's her face? And the mom, and Ricky's mom is is in the is is the one who's yeah. in, in, James, in the, he, he likes who he likes. And Regina is also in there. Yeah. yeah. She's like a friend of the because yeah. I think Tupac was a male carry. It was very the setup yeah. was kind of hokey, but the movie was very good. Yeah. Oh wow, Lloyd Avery, the the uh Ferris's shotgun uh boy. Yeah, yeah, it's like a lot of the same well. folks. Crazy. All right, uh, Jeremiah, who would who would play you, and what what would the movie be? Honestly, I don't know that there's a more movie. There's a movie that I think better portrays. I really like this movie. I was just like this movie. I don't know who. I don't have to be in the movie. That's great. Um, particularly the first, particularly the first half of this movie reminds me of my childhood in ways that's hard to articulate. Mm. Love it. You be you be Ricky. You be the the sports star for sure. You be like you we, go. we got got that. I'll, I'll play Boris Chestnut. Super fun. Make my wife happy. I'll play Boris <laughs> Chestnut. No field goal attempts though. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Last one. Doompod. Hey, this is Corey from Austin, Texas. Call up on the car. Don't worry, I've parked. I'm on the way to a concert. Uh, I'm actually arrived at the venue. Anyway, uh, just wanted to call real quick before the new episode of Boys in the Hood from 1991. This movie was a big deal. White people were going boncos about this movie, <laughs> and uh, it was a real thing. Granted, I was a young um, white kid in Austin, Texas at this time, so uh, I didn't have much of a relationship with this lifestyle that we see <laughs> featured in the film. It's a great film. I love it. Uh, obviously, Cuba Gooden Jr. was a big breakout of this, but uh, we all know I was there for Ice Cube and Lawrence Fishburne, Mr. <laughs> Furious Styles. Has there ever been a better character name than Furious Styles? Strong, I'm, strong I'm name. Sure. Anyway, this movie's got a lot of great stuff in it. I think it's aged well. Um, I do say that, but I haven't watched it in a half a minute. So, But I do think it still really captures you know, the time and things that were happening. It's got a little bit of a Hollywood touch to it, so take that with a grain of salt. Mm. Anyway, uh, wonderful stuff. I'm really looking forward to the episode, as I usually say. And who would Tilda Swinton play? I would assume she would play the white officer. I think his name was Officer <laughs> Graham. Yeah. That would be interesting for her to do. That would be great. And uh, one last thing. I hope H is taking advantage of this and playing that uh, 1990, you might remember, there was the, I think they were called the, the West Coast Hip Hop All-Stars. We're all in the same game. We got the devil, not eagle, okay? We got we're all in the same game. We're all in the same gang. Let's remember, we really are all in the same gang. Hopefully, you're <laughs> music here. Look at me, producer from the car. <laughs> <laughs> who do you think? Who do you think Corey's going to see in concert? It's got to be something funky. It's got to be something weird. Whatever Corey's going to see, some oh, kind of for like. Sure. Some, some kind of burlesque punk act or something. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds right. That sounds, that sounds right. right. We're all in the same gang, Jeremiah. What do you think? I could. I know the melody. <laughs> if you played it, if you played it, I'd go bar for bar for with you. Oh, my God. Bar for bar. Oh, my God. Don't play it. Not now. Not now, though, dude. The, <laughs> the, no, the next episode you come on, we'll have a musical segment for sure. And we can play. We can play. And we can do. We can also do a history of West Coast rap. Yeah, that'd be great. An a expert very, on West yeah, Coast yeah. rap. An expert. Yeah, yeah. I've seen all these people in concert. Mm. 
that we're talking about. Yeah. Not in WA, though. We were worried, a little worried about it in WA. They're losing dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Have you fast up to run for you can go see a WA? Yeah, we're going to talk about Deltron uh, 3030, though, and Cool Keith. We're, oh, yeah. well, those are the, the white rappers. The, the, for the, the white audience. The black rappers for white audiences. The Deltron yeah, 3030. I'm not familiar with Deltron. Yeah, yeah. Deltron wasn't on my hit list. Yeah, that's right. Hieroglyphics. Yeah, this is a, this is a, this, you'll find out you'll find out the kind of hip hop that we listen to. Oh next, no, the next tune pod. All right, Jeremiah, what do you have to plug, buddy? I'm gonna plug the Great Dune podcast. <laughs> Thank I'm you. I'm just meeting you, H. People <laughs> seem to love you. They call you H. I don't know why. Maybe because your name starts with H. And my boy Goldman over here, who's doing good things. I'm just glad that I was lucky enough to get invited to talk about my movies. Amazing. I appreciate you coming on, Jeremiah. Thank you so much for taking all the time. Yeah, really incredible. Especially on a tough night where the Lakers got eliminated. Down oh, down only by two points. That's what I was checking on. Well, you know, no, they they they, they gone home. They, they, <laughs> luckily, they were already home, so they didn't have far to go. They didn't go far, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Jason, what do you have to plug? Uh, what do I have to plug this week? Um, I'm going to say uh, I'm going to plug... Uh, hands are not for hitting a book that we are reading with our four-year-old because he has laid hands upon his sister yet again uh, okay. contains many helpful hints for what to do with your toddler and reassures you that in fact hitting is quite common for toddlers um, and it is in fact quite common in our house tonight <laughs> one day it will be okay increase the peace increase the peace <laughs> And that's it for this episode. I want to thank Jason and Jeremiah for an amazing conversation. Next week, the final episode ever of Dune Pod. We welcome Greg Yatanis back to send us off in style with Terry Gilliam's science fiction and paperwork masterpiece, Brazil. If you're enjoying the show, we need your help. Take a minute to leave us a five-star rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcast, or just tell your friends about us because it really does help new listeners find the show. We also have a Discord server where you can hang out with us online whenever you want. A link is in the show notes. Dune Pod is a tape deck podcast, John, a production of H Industries. Our artwork is by Catcher, and our theme music was composed by Toby Forsman of Whipsong Music. The episode was edited and produced by me, H. Thanks for listening. We'll see everybody next week. Knock the stuffing off that egg. Oh. <laughs>